Uh, I thought it would be funny to have everyone raise their hand if they used their heat this morning. Uh, do that. Um, I, oh, well, thank you for raising your hand if you did. Uh, we did not. So, you know, there we go. Uh, praise the Lord for this weather. So glad that you're here for worship. Let me announce two quick things. First, if you're in the youth group, we're meeting tonight after evening worship at El Paisaje for dinner and fellowship. And secondly, if you are a woman, there is a Coffee and Connections coming up on Saturday, this Saturday, October 14th at 9.30 a.m. at Brandon Presbyterian Church. And if you're interested in going, please contact Midge, and we'll, uh, you'll be leaving from here at 7.30 in the morning and driving together. So if you're interested in going to Coffee and Connections this Saturday, 9.30, please contact Midge. Uh, That is all I have to announce. Let's ask God to help us to worship him this morning uh, and take a few moments to do that as the music plays. Would you please stand for our call to worship from Psalm 105. This is God's word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. As God's chosen people, would you uh, please join me in prayer and then we'll worship together. Let's pray. 
God, we lift up your name this morning. We thank you for bringing us here on this cool morning in which to worship you in comfort. We praise you and we thank you for the comfort that you have blessed this church with and the ways in which you have brought us here to glorify you. So Holy Spirit, would you be here with us this morning? Would you fill our hearts, give us great strength and faith to praise you in spirit and in truth? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing our first hymn, which is hymn 700, Come We That Love the Lord. Let's worship with hymn 700. If you would remain standing and would take out your bulletin, you'll see that we have uh, the Apostles' Creed in here as our confession of faith this morning. The Apostles' Creed is a good summary of what we believe God's Word teaches us about Himself, about us, and about the world. So would you, believer, would you confess with me? Believer, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. When we read the Psalms, we are taught how to pray. 
The Psalms, in many ways, are God's manual to His people to learn how to pray. And throughout the Psalms and throughout the Bible, you'll find prayers of lament. There's a book called Lamentations, uh, in which the people of God cry out for help. They cry out in their suffering, and it is good to offer prayers of lament. And often we don't. In church, we come uh, often to feel uh, happy, joyful, to put on a happy face. But oftentimes, God calls us to honesty, honesty about ourselves, our spiritual state, our physical state, the things that we're struggling with. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer this morning uh, based on a psalm of lament. So would you please join me in prayer? Dear Father, we come before you this morning in prayer, uh, in lament. We don't often take time to present our pain to you just for the sake of sharing it with you. And many of us here this morning, as you know, for all kinds of reasons, share the words of the psalmist when he says and asks, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long will this suffering this pain, this discomfort last? How long will my cold make me feel miserable? How long will my son or daughter have to go through this painful experience? How long will I be lonely? How long until my marriage is joyful again? How long will my brain be afflicted by depression or anxiety? And we ask, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We pray, Lord, that you would light up our eyes, as the psalmist says, that you would light up the eyes of your children who are in pain, God, would you help us to say again this morning by faith, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Help us to sing to the Lord, even in the middle of heartache, because you have dealt bountifully. God, some of your people here today don't have someone to share their pain with in this life. So would you be kind to us, Lord, and give your struggling people a friend, a neighbor to talk with and pray with so that their hearts would be encouraged by your Spirit. Lord, there are people in your church here this morning who are in pain, uh, in great pain, pain from surgery, pain from injury, pain from sickness, whatever it might be, Lord, and we ask that you would help them, encourage them, even in the middle of their pain. That you would help them to worship you and to look to you in faith, that you are with them in this. Lord, we pray that you would give us fervency, that you would give us eagerness in taking our pain and our hopes and our fears to you in prayer. And as we do this, we pray that you would give us an assurance of your love and hope in your promises. 
So God, be with this church. Be with our time of worship this morning. Be with those who are expecting a child. Be with those who are looking forward to this week and all that you have prepared them for. God, you love us and you are with us. We pray that you would bless your church this morning and comfort us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you follow with me, or would you join with me in the Lord's Prayer now? Let's pray again. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Would you please pray with me? God, we read in 2 Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abounding abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Lord, would you bless the tithes and offerings of this church? Would you bless your people to make us into great givers of our time, of our money, for you and for your church and for your kingdom work? God, you are the only one who is able to make grace abound and will help us to walk in good works. So would you do these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping with hymn 576, which is Awake My Soul, Stretch Every Nerve, hymn 576. I would invite you to turn with me now to the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. We're going to read together the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 12. 
Before we do so, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for inspiring this word for us that we might know who you are and what you require of us. Please bless to us now the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of your holy and inspired word. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in verse 1, hear God's word. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. And this ends this reading of God's word. Well, the New Testament sets up Abraham as maybe the primary model of what the life of a believer looks like. Uh, he's the pattern for justification by faith. He's called the father of all believers. And really, he's a picture of faithfulness. And so we're meant to learn things from his life. And I want us to start learning from his life today, particularly thinking about, you know, life is a journey. Life is a pilgrimage. That's one of God's major metaphors for the Christian life. And what we get to see here in this passage is God calling Abram. I'm going to call him Abraham. I know it says Abram in the text. It's habit. But uh, what we see here in the text is God's actual call to Abram, to Abraham, to set him on his pilgrimage as a believer. And I know people struggle with calling. People are asking, you know, what does God have for my life? Even if I've had some sort of calling in the past, what does he have for my future? And I want us to think about calling today. So I want us to look at three things in this passage. The call, the problem with the call, and the hope of the call. Number one, the call. Verse one of our passage says, Now the Lord said to Abram, similar to the creation story, God's speech, he's bringing something new into reality. God said, God spoke to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now in literature, that's called an inciting incident. That's the first move in the story that sets everything going forward 
in action. So we don't know much about Abraham at this point. We learned a little bit about his lineage in the previous chapter, which we did not look at last week, but it's there in Genesis 11 if you want to look into it. We know that Abram is 75 years old. We know that he's married. We know that he spent his life with his parents, even in their own pilgrimage. But now God shows up as Abraham being 75 years old and audibly calls him to the adventure of his life. Jordan Peterson famously said, God shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, it's time to move out of your parents' basement and do something with your life. I mean, you're 75 for crying out loud. But the fact that Abraham's 75 when he receives this call is showing us something. It's showing us that God can show up. He can call you to a new adventure at any moment in your life. It doesn't really matter your age. And the word call even here, God's call to Abraham can be misleading because the fact is that God called Abraham multiple times. As we work through the story of Abraham, we'll see it. God shows up. He shows up twice in this passage. When Abraham's 75 at the beginning of Genesis 12, and then years later after Abraham's already begun <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, the pilgrimage to Canaan, God shows up there by the Oak of Mamre and again asserts his promises to Abraham. And God will appear again in Genesis 17 when Abraham is 99 to reassert. So one thing we see, one reality in this passage is that when God doesn't just call a person, he keeps calling a person over and over again. That's one thing I like in our polity uh, as a Presbyterian church. When a minister goes to a new church, what do we call it? We call it a call. You've received a new call. God calls ministers to new places multiple times. Well, he does that in all of our lives. I mean, every new job, every new career, it's a call. When you have a child, God is calling you to be a parent. When you're married, God is calling you to be a spouse. So just like Abraham, we receive calls. We can receive multiple calls to action from God in our lives. One of my favorite little books is a book by Randall Wallace called Living the Braveheart Life. Brenda Wallace wrote the screenplay for Braveheart based on his ancestor, the life of his ancestor, William Wallace. And in that book, and, and Randall's a Christian, devoted Christian, and in that book, he tells a very moving story um, about how different people receive calls from God in very, very different ways. And I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. He talks about a friend whose dad was a mob boss. He says his friend's dad wasn't just in the mob. like He was the mob. He was the top of the top. And, of course, he, his friend was going to follow in his father's footsteps and continue that life in the mafia. But then something happened that changed the course of his life. In 1967, because of his, his dad's mob connections, that friend got front row tickets to go see the Rolling Stones. Wallace writes, My friend told me, that the Rolling Stones came out on stage, they played the opening riff of Jumping Jack Flash, and my life changed forever on the spot. And the way he explains that was, just hearing a guitar riff, he sat there, or stood there, and said to himself, I've got to do something better with my life. I can't live on with a life of crime. He took it as a calling to do something. 
Wallace writes, my dad was a Baptist deacon, and in my youth, I was taken not willingly to an endless stream of church services and tent revivals. I've seen many people walk down an aisle and surrender to salvation. I know full well that those outside this experience consider it a self-deception, but the sudden redirection of a life has happened to too many people to dismiss all conversion as fraud. I love that phrase, the sudden redirection of a life. That's what a call is. It's when God shows up and suddenly redirects your life. It's God calling out to you to go, to change, to do something different, to take a new course. He did this to Abraham over and over again. He does it for us over and over again. But that leads to point two. The problem with God's call Well, actually several problems with this call I want to point out. The first problem is God's call is unpredictable. And it comes to Abraham out of the blue clear sky. It's just Abraham is a 75-year-old living with his pagan parents and God shows up. God's call is not something that can be manufactured. There's no magic formula. When God has something new for you, he may not call you the way he called you in the past. You know, one time he shows up and it's a voice out of the sky for Abraham. The next time he shows up in an oak tree. It's, it's always different. It's unpredictable. The second problem is <coughs> God may call you to a place that you don't want to go or to a place you've never even heard of. He calls Abraham to travel to a land he's never seen and he just says, I'll show you whatever that means. Or he may go, you know, not only a place you've never heard of or seen, but to a place that you don't want to go. You think of the prophet Jonah, the classic idea of somebody running away from God's call. God calls him specifically to Nineveh, which is the last place on earth he wants to go. So how does Jonah heed the call? He gets up and he goes, but not to Nineveh, to Tarshish. Literally goes the opposite direction. He's going as far in the opposite direction as he possibly can. And, you know, Tarshish was an interesting place. There's a reference in the Old Testament that King Solomon would send ships to Tarshish to collect, if I remember correctly, gold, silver, ivory, monkeys, and peacocks. Sounds like an interesting place to me. It's the place where you go get monkeys and bring them back to, to Israel. But, you know, Tarshish was known as kind of, I heard Eugene Peterson say this, it was like a, an ancient Shangri-La you know, that mythical place that everybody wants to go to, but nobody really knows what it's like. It's, you know, it's no different today than somebody saying, you know, I want to go to Hollywood when I grow up. When you, if you find out Hollywood's not all it's cracked up to be, but at the same time, it's that place where dreams come true. That's what Tarshish was. And so Jonas says, God beckons him, says, go to Nineveh. He runs away to the, tries to run away to the land of dreams until God sends a great fish to come and swallow him. And force him to fulfill the call, essentially. So, God's call is unpredictable. God may call you to places you've never heard of or places you don't want to go. Third problem, God's call can take time. You may receive God's call, but not receive the result of that call for years. I think about this in Marvel when I read about Abraham. He walks, there's different estimates, but let's say, for the sake of argument... From Haran 
to Canaan, his ultimate journey ends up being about 1,400 miles of walking. Imagine God says, go to a place that I'm going to show you, and you start walking, and it's, you going to show me now, God? And then you walk some more, years. And God said, you say, you going to show me now? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's 1,400 miles of walking. And Abraham is 75 when God tells him to get going, that he's going to make him a great nation. How long is it before he finally has his first child? It's 25 years. He's 100. Imagine 25 years of day after day praying, saying, God, you made a promise. Can you imagine him 10 years after the call, 20 years after the call, saying, God, when's this whole having children thing going to become a reality? When's this whole becoming a nation thing going to happen? It's like this over and over again in the Bible. God calls people to a task. He makes a promise to them. And then they have to wait. It was 120 years from God's announcement of the flood to Noah until the rain came. Joseph was spent 13 years in Potiphar's house and prison before he rose to power and fulfilled, in fulfillment of the dreams God had given him. The Hebrew people spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt before God brought the promised exodus. Moses spent 40 years in the desert as a shepherd before God fulfilled his promise to make him the shepherd of his people. David spent 13 years from the time he was anointed king until he actually took the crown. One of my favorite waiting stories in the Old Testament is Elisha, the prophet, because Elisha was Elijah's assistant. For est estimates range from like 10 to 16 years. Elisha was Elijah's assistant. I heard one preacher years ago say, you can imagine someone asking Elisha's mom, isn't your son well into his 30s now? How's he doing? Well, he's Elijah's gopher. He gets him coffee, donuts, makes copies for him, <laughs> does whatever he needs, does the laundry from time to time. The rest of the time he's hanging out with these wacky sons of the prophets. I don't really know what he's doing. He's been in seminary for like 15 years. They're all trying to figure out how to be prophets. Maybe he'll figure it out someday. Maybe, they'll, maybe he'll graduate. But you know the time came when that mantle fell from Elijah onto Elisha. Just say 15, 16 years of waiting for it to happen. Even after you receive a call, it may take time. It may take distance before you actually receive it. That's the next problem. The fourth problem, last problem I'll mention with God's call is you don't know when God's calls are going to come. As I've said, when we formally met Ab meet Abraham, he's 75 years old. You know, people lived longer back then, so Abraham isn't necessarily elderly. He's not even necessarily middle-aged. But that makes the story all the more relatable because, you know, people used to talk about having, midlife, uh, having a midlife crisis where you wake up one day and say, I've got to do something new with my life. Well, they're talking now that kids are having quarter life, a quarter life crisis. Because you get out of college and you're like, well, that was four years. What do I do now? You know, so few people actually work in their degree and the like. Regardless, this story shows us it's never too late or it's never too early to find a purpose in life. And even if you do find a purpose, life can still be really difficult as you age as you look for further purpose. Now, I've been reading a really good book by Arthur Brooks called From Strength to Strength. 
based on Psalm 84, that title, God Leads His People from Strength to Strength. And the book is really about middle age and how to reset and how to readapt at middle age when you're starting to lose your energy, how to go from strength on to strength. And the first chapter is called The Man on the Plane Who Changed My Life. And Arthur Brooks is sitting on a plane, and there's an elderly couple behind him talking, and he overhears the wife say to her husband, it's not true that no one needs you anymore. And he said, I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I had to listen from that point on. Then he hears her say, stop saying it would be better if you were dead. At the end of the flight, the lights come on and he sees the man who had uttered the words, it would be better off if I were dead. And Brooks writes, I was shocked. I recognized him. He was famous. Then in his mid-80s, he has been universally beloved as a hero for his courage, patriotism, and accomplishments of many decades ago. I've admired him since I was young. As he passed up the aisle of the plane behind me, passengers recognized him and murmured with veneration. Standing at the door of the cockpit, the pilot recognized him and said, echoing my own thoughts, Sir, I've admired you since I was a little boy. And this man was just lamenting the fact that he wanted to die. The world would be a better place without him. Now, St. Augustine, at the peak of his powers, when he's writing the, his most famous book, The Confessions, said, I am a burden to myself. He was still looking for another call. He couldn't just rely on his past laurels. He wanted something else to do. Another infusion of meaning into his life. And here's Abraham. He's 75, and his life is about to be infused with new meaning and purpose. How did he get it? How can we get it? That's the last point. I want us to look at the hope of the call. <coughs> Notice there's a promise. There's several promises, really, in Genesis 12. Starting in verse 1, God says, Go for, from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. That's echo back to the Tower of Babel. They wanted a great name. God says, I'm going to make your name great, Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonored you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he promises Abraham that he will make him into a nation, bless him, make his name great, Bless those who bless him and bless all the families of the world through him. Commentators call this the second announcement of the gospel. Genesis 3.15 being the first. That God, through the seed of Abraham, is going to make a nation that is going to bless the entire earth. The Messiah, who is going to be the savior of the world, we now know is going to come through the family of Abraham. That blessed child of Abraham through whom God was going to bless the nations, we learn in the New Testament, is Jesus Christ. And like Abraham, the father called him to leave his country and his father's house and go to a place he had not been. As the hymn says, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite, his grace. But instead of being blessed, Jesus was cursed. He took the wrath of God on himself so that God could bless us. 
And that message is more profound than any guitar riff that any guitar player has ever produced. Because since Jesus was willing to get out for us, we can know that when we have to get out, he'll be with us. And that's the most important thing about the call that we need to know. As I told the story a couple Sunday nights ago, Steve Cuss was a hospital chaplain. And his first night on the job, he has a patient die. And he goes to his supervisor and says, what do I do? And his supervisor basically says, well, that's a good question, isn't it? What are you going to do? I don't know. He asks his supervisor, what if I make a mistake? And his boss says, you're going to make hundreds of mistakes before this year's over. And that's how you're going to learn. And Cus said before he walked into that hospital room where he knew there was, there was a family mourning uh, this, a passing, he said he, the thing he learned, the most important thing he learned each time he would walk into one of those doors was Jesus was already there in the room before he went in. I don't know what I'm walking into and what God is calling me to do right now but I can know that Jesus is there ahead of me, that he's going to care for me, that he's never going to leave me, that he's never going to forsake me. (laughs) When you understand that, now you can really start to pursue the implications of God's call because all risk is gone. Because Jesus took the ultimate risk already for us. So four implications of the call as we close. You can build on the past as you move forward with a new call. One thing that people don't normally mention about our passage is that Abraham's father had already started the journey to the promised land before God called Abraham. Not saying we understand, not knowing the specifics of it, but knowing Genesis 11.31, it says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. They were already on their way to Canaan. They stopped in Haran. There they settled. And then God comes to Abraham and says, that journey that your father started, now I want you to fulfill it. Jordan Peterson has this phrase where he talks about rescuing your dead father from the belly of the whale. And... uh, Interesting phrase, right? What he means by that is that on our journeys and lives, we are called to, to sort of resurrect the work of our fathers, to build off of what has come before us. We're never called to start over from scratch anew. Uh, all of your past experiences, everything that's come before, God intends to use to help you finish your journey. And so you have to build on the past. Here's the second thing. You can be a blessing. God calls Abraham to be a blessing. As you're pursuing your call, your attention should be to bless others. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing. (coughs) The road to the promised land should be littered with blessings. And so you should be asking every day, who am I going to bless? Thirdly, you can be an object of blessing. 
God tells Abraham he's going to bless those who bless him. That means Abraham, can, as he's pursuing his call, he can accept help along the way. He doesn't have to do it all by himself. Um, he can bless others by allowing them to bless him. And I, you know, one of my early mentors had a, a deal he would do when you, you'd go out to lunch with him. He would always offer first to pay. And, you know, I saw this a number of times with different people that he would interact with. And he'd say, I'm paying today, that's that. And the other person would say, no, let me pay. And he'd say, no, I'm paying. And he would always say, I'm not going to let you steal my blessing. And what he meant by that was he believed that by him blessing someone else by taking the check, that God would bless him. And I learned from that to... uh, when people reach out a hand to help you, when they offer gifts, when they offer help, you don't have to say no. You don't have to be completely selfless. God wants to bless others through them blessing you. So allow others to bless you along the way. So you can be a blessing. You can be an object of blessing. And here's the last thing. As you pursue your call, you can build altars. Genesis twelve seven and following. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Every time God called, Abraham built an altar. This is a pattern in his life. That altar could be a foreshadowing of Abraham building an altar he doesn't want to build in the future for his son Isaac. But we'll get to that when we get to that text. It does, the text doesn't say anything about Abraham offering sacrifices at this point. There's no shedding of blood. There's just the building of an altar. And it says he called on the name of the Lord as he did so. That translation is somewhat misleading. The text literally says, He called the name of the Lord, not called on the name of the Lord, but called the name of the Lord. This is not an invocation. This is a proclamation. It means he praised the name of the Lord. He memorialized the name of God. He raised his Ebenezer. He gave God glory with his altars and with his speech. So when Abraham looked in his rearview mirror on this pilgrimage called life, called the call, you know what he saw behind him? He would always see a path of praise, altars, where he called on the name of the Lord. If you want to keep moving forward, pursuing what God's called you to in this life, the best thing you can do is leave a path of praise behind you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us today. Thank you for interposing the precious blood of Christ in our lives. Thank you for calling us to be your people. Some of us today may be wondering what you have in store for us next. I pray that through this story of Abraham, by your spirit, that you would give them a sense of your call on their life. And that regardless, as we continue to move forward, step by step, 
that we would leave behind a path of praise to our blessed Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn, number 616. Now grace, mercy, and peace be with you all as we continue this, our short earthly pilgrimage. Amen.